This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. Matt Hale of Divi is the first speaker in the second half of the conversation we began last week. Divi is a Sydney-based decentralised energy market startup. The huge scale of residential solar deployment makes Australia a particularly appropriate environment for this kind of solution. We also look at the challenges of breaking into the highly regulated and cartel-run infrastructure space. Secondly, Luke Anderson describes the dilemma of selecting blockchain as an appropriate solution to a problem. The Sydney Ethereum community is huge, possibly the largest geographically concentrated group of F-heads in the world. What should be very clear from this and the prior episode is that it's a geographical location well worth paying attention to. Next week we hear from Nick Addison of AgriDigital, which is one of my favourite blockchain startups, about his plan for a digital Australian dollar. I mean, I don't, I don't have a parrot or anything. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Hey, anyway, thanks for coming there. Thanks, Arthur. Yeah, it's great to be here. So, um, why don't you introduce yourself now that we've uh, we've just added yet another person to our to our drinking circle? Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Matt from Divi, and we are a startup based here in Sydney. And our mission is to decentralise and democratise renewable energy access. Now, there are many ways in which you could achieve or attempt to achieve such a thing. But what might be of most interest to people here is our use of smart contracts and blockchain to help facilitate peer-to-peer trading of energy. So we're talking about customers who may, or one, one of which has a PV system on the roof, solar photovoltaic, and wants to trade their excess energy that they produce with some of their neighbors. So this is, um, uh, yeah, it's been done before by a couple of different groups around the world, but we think we have a somewhat different approach that has additional benefits. Uh, so what's that approach? Sure. Well, <laughs> so uh, essentially, um, we're trying to look at how. What the question that we're really interested in is how decentralized can you make such a system? So, what does decentralized peer-to-peer trading look like at its most extreme and at its most practical as well? So, um, current approaches tend to have maybe a single point of failure, being a smart meter, usually. And we're looking at ways in which you can maybe decentralize that point into points of failure, making it much harder to um, defraud the system, or fraud the system, I should say, or have bad actors. Um, And also, we're looking at market structures that might um, perhaps better achieve our vision than, say, opening up one single giant market. We're looking at hyper-localizing a lot of different markets and seeing how that works. This, uh, this, I mean, this recalls things like uh, like the RWE Cotricity project, or I believe uh, I believe that's called Energy these days. Um, yeah. So do you? And I know that the fun, it's funny because you guys have Aldi's here, and Aldi's is uh, is a big part of that over there. Yeah, right. I think Aldi's their uh, their primary buyer. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I know the guys behind Cotricity. I think you introduced them to me a little while ago, a few months ago. Uh, again, I think. 
without knowing the ins and outs exactly of their model, they still have a that centralized point of, of failure. So the root of trust of that system is essentially the smart meter. And that, um, especially when you're working with, say, a big utility or the metering company, it's, it's aligned as well with one single entity who controls the access or the ownership of that meter. So what we're trying to do is uh, decentralize that root of trust, so to speak. And you can kind of do that here because you guys own your own power generation for the most part. I mean, there's so much solar deployment here. It's insane. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like you go through, uh, I mean, uh, you go through Brunswick and uh, in Melbourne and it's just every single house has solar panels. Mm. The rebates helped with that. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Which, by the way, have recently come to an end as of the start of this year. So people, some people are going from... Uh, earning between 20 and 60 cents per kilowatt hour for every unit they pump back into the grid to now earning a minimum of 6 cents here in New South Wales or a minimum of about 11 cents in Victoria. So that's quite a significant drop in income and people are looking at ways of how to maximise the true value of their um, the, the excess solar because they're essentially getting ripped off selling it back to the grid for or the retailer I should say for 6 cents. cents and then buying it back at sometimes 30, 40 cents. And it's the for a kilowatt hour. For a kilowatt hour. No way. That's why yeah, mining's difficult. That's, that's in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> mining's very difficult. Tell me about from, it. Uh, from right when you get home from work, like, you know, 4 or 5 p.m. until, like, you go to bed, it's, like, max. You're paying, like, 30, 40 cents. No way. Yeah. Man. Oh, well. But, but so, the, so, well, the Australia tax, they call it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So I've been working with someone who wants to create a um, centralized peer-to-peer electricity trading network. Oh, interesting. And um, I've recently um, told him to, that I was not interested. Mm-hmm. But the mechanics of getting into the electricity network was quite complicated. Yes. Uh, because you've got your producers, your consumers, you've got the regulators, you've got the people who are running the billings, um, you know, installing the meters mm-hmm. and... Um, reading them, and then you've got the transmit the transmission companies as well, so the mm-hmm. long distance and then the distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, so to insert yourself into the pool mm-hmm. um, seems to be quite a complicated process. Yes. Um, so you are talking about some hyper communities, or so you have many communities, but the um, communities then eventually will feed into the the Australian network. Yes. Um, so you've got to get the regulation uh, yep. regulators on board and all that. How are you going about? Yeah. That? So the regulatory restrictions are, a, you know, a huge barrier for the rollout of a model like this, and that's why the current players, uh, pretty much anywhere in the real world, but particularly here in Australia, haven't been able to make much headway beyond the trial stage, and that's essentially because it's illegal here to sell energy or trade energy unless you have a retail license. And those are really prohibitive. And I mean, if you think about it, if you want to decentralize that process, that would essentially mean every prosumer has to become a retailer, which is is not going to work, right? So Mm -hmm. that that is a a massive uh, barrier to the full rollout of this. And the traditional solution has been to, okay, well, what situations can this work in? So you look at embedded networks. So these are essentially... um, mini micro or microgrids that sit uh, not outside the grid, they have one single point of access to the grid and then the poles and wires that run in amongst the houses or within a nursing home or a building um, for example, they are all privately owned and you can do whatever the hell you want really on those wires, which Mm -hmm. is great. 
except it's not scalable um, if you're trying to you know build a business and roll it out on a wide scale. So um, that's that is uh, obviously a massive barrier. But another way around it is to look at well, okay, we now have this highly centralized infrastructure or market structure in Australia, and essentially what I'm proposing is that we we try to um, wedge a decentralized market or way of doing things on top of that, which there's obviously a lot of friction there and it's quite difficult to overcome that. So another approach which we're looking um, looking into uh, and making a little bit of progress on is to think, well, okay, why don't we go somewhere or into a market that doesn't have the same entrenched centralized structure and try to build a, uh, a better way of doing things from the ground up? And, you know, that would have... Uh, way fewer regulatory restrictions. So we're talking developing markets, basically. And in a similar way to how you have, you might have had in, in say, East Africa, a leapfrogging of um, landline phone technologies going straight to, to mobile phone technology. You may have these microgrids pop up um, that leapfrog this kind of centralized distribution network, which is highly inefficient and not the best way of doing things, in my opinion. So you're familiar with the 30-minute 30, 30 block structure of the Australian power uh, metering? Yes, that's and, right. And where you agree in forward mm-hmm. contracts um, on how much you're going to consume and so you're, you're working with that? Yeah, abs- well, yeah, at, at the moment here in, the, in Australia, yes. Mm-hmm. So well, because of all these barriers that we've discussed, what it really comes down to in my model um, is needing this decentralized route of trust, for lack of a better term. And so if uh, we need to develop that in order to move forward, basically, and to differentiate from other blockchain solutions, as well as going into these developing markets, you need to be able to either show investors or you know, um, the, the, the com- even just the actors within a decentralized network, you have to be able to show that they can trust each other and not just putting their, their, their faith in one magic box, so to speak. So um, that's what we're working on now. We've partnered with, or we're working very closely with, I should say, a Hong Kong-based company called Rights Commerce, and they're basically looking to tokenize property rights, all sorts of things. And then underneath Rights Commerce since sits a company called Rights Fusion, and they are looking to do enter the solar market, essentially. So looking at developing hardware to essentially provide this um, cryptographic proof of trust, or as they like to call it, proof of fusion, um, and from that, you can then build out application layers to do all sorts of things, not just what I'm proposing, but you can integrate directly with retailers and the, you, you could essentially redesign the NEM based on stuff like that. But well, sorry, that's the national electricity market. But, you know, that's quite ambitious. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at just the, the energy market or space in the last few weeks, there's been so much talk and chatter in, in Australia about it. You look at the South Australian blackouts, um, it's become such a hot topic. Elon Musk's even got involved with his you know, proposed tender for massive battery in South Australia. Um, and so a lot of politicians are in a lot of hot water from their constituencies about uh, you know, needing to solve this energy problem. And if, if something is not done to allow these types, this type of trading to occur, you're just going to have consumers continuing down the path to trying to go off-grid. Um, which is a potential solution for some consumers, but not everybody can afford to you know, max out a solar system on their roof and get a massive battery to, um, to soak up power. And 
Um, it's also not the most efficient way environmentally, if you think about it. You don't want everybody to oversize their systems. Um, that's just a waste of resources. It would be much more efficient to design a market mechanism whereby you can share that load around. Yeah. So if you've got an isolated community, mm. uh, do, do they run... Would, would they run Ethereum and would they need to be part of the global Ethereum network or would there be sort of isolated blockchains within those communities? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So um, if you look at the way other groups have done it, um, they've either gone one or two routes. They've either used a proprietary in-house blockchain, which is essentially highly um, centralized. It's got like a couple of nodes, Um, but it's quite scalable. It's really fast. Um, arguably, you know, more secure in some ways, less secure in other ways. Um, or you can run, if you're trying to do a single market, yeah, you would need um, the, all of the nodes to connect to the, the main Ethereum network. Or another way to do it would be to, again, hyper-localize these markets and then have each one run maybe a private Ethereum node. Or I mean, you also wouldn't have to necessarily use Ethereum for this, but yeah. that's the approach we're taking at the moment because of all the development that's going on um, and... It's where the most progress seems to be happening the most quickly. Yeah. Enterprise theory. Mm. Sorry? Enterprise theory. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, exactly. local <clears throat> nodes or local group mm. um, going over the public network. Yeah, that would be ideal. Because yeah. you want that transparency as well, mm. that a public blockchain kind of gives, in a sense, at least to the participants, because... That's what's really missing in the energy market at the moment is a lack of transparency. Everybody hates the energy retailers. Everybody hates the big network operators because they feel ripped off by them, as they should, because they essentially are being ripped off. So, um, some, some some opposition towards that because mm-hmm. I'm just dealing with the uh, internet providers. Mm-hmm. Now that's that's another kind of one similar to what you're talking about. Yeah. So it's all it's all kind of especially artificially kind of create net impenetrable. So, yeah. Not downloading illegal content. No, 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 actually, no providing internet, <laughs> actually, actually providing internet at $30, up and down. Mm. Cheapest. 100 up and down without, uh, what do you call it, uh, the rate doesn't drop. So, you, like, if you, if you do speed tests, it's like 98 or something. 98 up and down. 30 bucks. It's funny, we've got this... Uh, and um, I live like just outside of Auckland, but in the hills, it's not hard to get into the real WAPs in like New Zealand. Right? <laughs> 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 well, New Zealand already done this system that we're rolling out here, trying to roll out. Yeah, because they 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 got crazy speeds, like they got four hundred thousand up and down stuff. That's amazing. Like they've they've got a fiber optic connection to the um, the local fire station, right? Volunteer fire station, <laughs> and they've set up a mesh net. So because the telephone lines are so bad. What they've got is they've oh. just got an awesome Wi-Fi mesh net to do the whole kind of mm. wire to rua region. Yeah, totally awesome. Um, <laughs> it's like thanks, guys. You know, I think they charge like fifteen bucks. Oh, no, but that's that's the thing because Telstra and the government have officially created it, so so it's it's hard to go against Telstra. So like they essentially Telstra a few years back they sank like thirteen billion in new copper. Right, and then they realized, oh, what, what are we going to do with copper? <laughs> so instead of that, so the government started pushing out laws saying saying that, ah, well, you have to install Telstra. Like, you know, so any developer now, it's a, it's a law, any developer has to put Telstra in infrastructure. You know, so, so it's hard to compete with that. And Telstra is sitting there, and I mean, 
on my NBN, for example, which is supposed to be well, fiber to the node they call it, right? I'm getting thirty up and down. I can, I can, I can do you in Melbourne right now. I can do thousand up and down. A thousand. That's a gigabit. That's a gigabit. Yeah, it's not like a thousand megabytes. That'd yeah. be. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and, and that's the thing at the fractional cost. You know, like, and, and that's like, and the technology is there. It's just, it's just these guys because they already spent it, right? And the government doesn't bed with them. You know, they, they, they kind of obviously making, making sure that you're not going to, you're not going to come in and destroy this market, so to speak. I mean, the internet, as of course, we're talking about prices in Australia and it's ridiculous how much it costs here. It's a social discussion now, but everything here costs more. There's like, there's absolutely no reason for it to do so, but I mean, it does, right? And just everybody gets paid a lot more. Fifty bucks just in toll fees to get to here, and I live like within within. within <laughs> it's still the same postcode, like it's still, it's still, it's still the same. It's You know what I mean? So, so it's like 50, 50 bucks just in tolls. I'm not even counting petrol. You know, it's like it's 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 amazing. I mean, like I don't know how people do it. It's it's it's, it's crazy, and you still get traffic too. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So and, and but that's the thing. It's artificially created. It's artificially created. Like with the energy thing, it's artificially created barriers. For example, there's no reason for the companies to go down to six six cents. You know, like they just say, okay, we subsidize it enough, and now it's going to be six cents. And like it's like, uh, like you said, it's it's they 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 you buy it back with them for thirty, and then and then they like they buy it for you for maximum of six. And then they justify that. No wonder Elon Musk is coming there with a battery, and then like you know, you stick you stick it all to them. You know what I mean? It's like that's the same as as we were talking about with the. Um Property. With property, with the labor market. The inefficiencies are put there by government intentionally. And that's what we're trying to kind of go around. And I think it's going to be a Uber type scenario where you don't ask anyone to do it. And then when, you, when you're big enough, it's just going to have to bend off. That's yeah. one of the beautiful things about this technology. Yeah. It, it, what a cryptocurrency allows you to do is to represent some form of value. Just, just like that, you can represent value. As long as you can. Uh, as long as you can link the value to the cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. then you've suddenly got a much more efficient system and you can just totally replace these monolithic institutions that, um, that are, are incredibly efficient. It would be nice, you know, you hear about the uh, office, land title office in New South Wales actually getting privatized. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, I don't know what going through. Is that actually going through? I don't know who's going to do that. But I can, like, it's, it's going to start not being on blockchain, put it this way. Yeah. So, and, and by the time it gets there, it's probably going to be, like, you know, private network or something. You know, like, and and there's a lot of kickbacks about to fly, start yeah, flying. Yeah. And there'll be a lot of protectionism around That's that right. There's, there's a lot of kickbacks about to start flying. So let's get ready for, for that, everyone here. So, and, I mean, and I mean, we're in a position to start, start, start kind of looking into this. Because, I mean, none of us are kind of in a position to actually come in and say, you know what, let's do this. And that would be awesome, you know, if, if we, like, we're in this space in Australia, we live here, you know what I mean? We would like to actually come, come and, and come up with the algorithm, how to do it correctly, you know what I mean? And actually do it, like, do a trial first, et cetera, you know, do it correctly. But then the government will do it, what it usually does, right? Get it to the highest bidder, and the highest bidder is obviously going to be there recovering the money. So, so once again, we take a step back on land titles, which is, you know. It's going to be. Uh, it'll be property exchange Australia. I imagine would uh, want to get in there. They're 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 amazing. Like, yeah. I mean, they're. Uh, I've been really impressed every time. I've been trying to get them to use a blockchain solution, but you know they've got smart contracts and everything. They're just just in a centralized fashion, right? You know they use that as their conveyance platform, and they have the only conveyance license here. You know, in, in Australia, they they have to serve the whole nation. I think they've got one percent of property conveyance in Aussie right now. Uh, but they've got everything on lockdown. You know, they're really, their bottleneck is legal 
uh, adoption. You know, the the uptake in solicitors. Well, as as people at Crown have seen the results. Yeah. So they've, they've, I think though. Yeah, I think Property Exchange Australia probably will be moving in on that because there's no reason to split mm. a conveyor and a registry, right? Especially because you guys use the Torrens Title System. You know, so it's like if you've got a record of the transfer of ownership, right? That is the record of ownership, right? Yeah. You know, that's like the UTXO model. Yeah, seems like a natural fit. But mm. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's just how uh, it's it's implemented at the moment. It's implemented. I don't know. I suppose on paper slash an SQL database. I don't know how they do it. I'm trying to think. I was speaking with the guy who built it uh, last night. We were drinking cocktails and smoking cigars and talking about banks. Yeah, no, was, that was quite funny. Expensive cigars. Yeah. <laughs> make you feel like, make you feel terrible too. I don't know what we were doing. We, th- we felt we looked, we looked pretty cool to ourselves. But. Hey, Luke, I did, we, didn't, we haven't even talked about what you're up to actually. Um... We've been consulting to a lot of different groups around Sydney. Um, we've been working a lot with ChronoBank, and that's been awesome. We've been we uh, we wrote their first white paper, and we've put some other interesting interesting developments that we've been working on there. Um, but lots lots of other people have been coming to us with their ideas and saying, "Oh, look, we want to do this, and we think blockchain sound great." Um, and in our team, we sit down and say, "Okay, look." How are we really going to solve this? Does it actually make sense to put a blockchain in here? If it does. You know, how do we do things? So, for example, I mentioned before, how do we do authentication in that? You know, but they go, it's got to be frictionless. It's got to be really easy. We go, okay, well, if you want to do that, you want to be densely centralized and you want to be frictionless and easy, well, we're going to have to address all of these huge list of problems and that's going to get really expensive. So let's start finding a middle ground that works for your company. So um, that's something that we spend a lot of our time doing now, which is... Um, an important value add that, that that we enjoy, but we're also very highly technical. We're very highly technical staff. We're all developers, PhDs in physics and stuff like that. So we we prefer to we're trying to sort of we're sort of starting there because everyone's ideas are in this really high level early development mm-hmm. stage. We're helping people work through that and hoping to sort of get towards some real development and get some get some stuff going on, which is um, also what I get to do in my PhD. So it's good good thing about PhD life is commercial interests are out the window. I get to build whatever the hell, bloody hell I like. Um, as long as you're... Um, so, so long as I'm pushing the forefront of humanity's understanding or something. Some, 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 some <laughs> crap like that anyway. <laughs> as long as I'm keeping my supervisor happy. <laughs> so um, and in that space, we've been um, analysing the actual network, the blockchain P2P networks um, as a whole, you know. How big is it? How many nodes are out there? How is it? How is it in, interconnected? Is is China the dominant player? Who are the miners? Can we track transactions? Right. If if you think you know, there's this sort of thought of blockchains are highly anonymous, or I would say pseudonym, pseudonymous. How much is that so? And can we actually start de-anonymizing these 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 platforms and at the core of how they work? And are the assumptions we make about blockchains and, and how they operate actually do they actually make sense anymore? And do they make sense in, in, in the face of actors like the NSA? Um, because a lot, of our, a lot of our background as well is in information security. So um, people get sort of go down this path of blockchains. They think that blockchain is kind of golden solution, but um, it raises the bar in information security, just like many other technologies. And 
The question is how far does it raise mm-hmm. that bar? So, and in what ways, I suppose, and what what parts of the spectrum? Exactly right. Um, you know, you might be able to address authentication. I mean, the thing that blockchain really does is it helps solve the double spending problem or yeah. the general Byzantine problem. Not much more than that, really. Right? We can use it in lots of applications with lots of other bits and pieces around it to solve lots of other sort of problems. But at the end of the day, that's the only problem that it solves. Um, it's just that that is kind of useful. So. Boiling it down to its the real essence of the problem is, is, is what we're sort of specialising. To go back to a question we've already gone over, I guess, to some extent, where to next for Australia? Like, this is pretty much Aussie, Aussie startups. I mean, we could, if we, um, if we had Nick Addison in here, like, that would be it, right? Well, Tim, yeah, Tim is representing the same. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've got, we've got practically... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got. Ah, uh, no, the Rodriguez guys. No, there's a few other players. What about Connor? Yeah, Connor Svensson. Yeah, actually, yeah. I was hoping he'd turn up. There's a few other players around, and I mean, it's 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 important not not to neglect the banks either. I mean, they're doing a lot of stuff in the blockchain space. Yeah. Um, I mean, CVA has been very active in this, in the, both in the innovation lab and in other parts of the bank. Um, so, so I mean. In terms of yeah, the startups and the stuff, we, we definitely have a, a big representation here. Well, you definitely would fit in this room. Um, but so but all, yeah, all but, of us will definitely fit. But in even this everyone, room. even if you took all of them, you would still all fit in this room. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, the banks. Yeah, the banks are doing it. I mean, I just discussed it with the with the business banking manager in CBA. What what Bitcoin is? I mean, she 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 thought I was dealing drugs. <laughs> uh, and I mean, she didn't. She still didn't get it. But yeah, <laughs> now the banks are like like. Uh, what you were saying, yeah? So they, they're kind of there, but they're waiting for other banks to kind of catch up, and they're waiting for the, somebody to take the plunge first. Mm. So basically, if there's anything stuffed up, right, it's, it's on them. You know, we're, we're here, but they're kind of poised and ready to go, which is great to see. You know, like, and we're growing. Like, you know, the community, community is, is, is a lot bigger than was last year, for example. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I mean, every, every, so. pretty much every Ethereum meetup gets bigger and bigger yeah, every yeah, time. So, yeah. mm. so that's, that's, that, that's good to see, and I think there was... One time, actually, like we had like close to three hundred people or something in the meetup, Ethereum. So, so it wasn't wasn't too bad. Whoa! But yeah, so. that's huge. Yeah, sometimes you'll get this huge influx of accountants and lawyers and stuff. Mm. Yeah. You've heard about it? Like it's in the law journal. Or yeah, it's just, and yeah. we're all used to seeing each other, and we see just like all <laughs> these suits walking around. Like, what's going on today? And then Luke will stand up there and start giving a talk on the Ethereum protocol. Yeah, and just bury them. Computer science. Why get up and start saying that all the bankers are assholes? The other ones that pop up a lot of recruiters as well. Yeah. As you say, there's a big recruiter market, um, and they're hearing all this buzz about blockchain. Like, I want a piece of that. You'll get hit up on LinkedIn. Labor shortage. Oh yeah. I don't know if you'd call us all competitors, but we're all learning together and we're all sort of sharing ideas as we, as we discover things. So it's, it's nice that this community is very good. Mm. I, I'm, actually, I'm actually quite sad that blockchain has become a hype cycle because it is a technology that can potentially change the way you know, humans transact. Right? It's not just another, I don't know, big data or some 3D other buzzword. 3D printing is a buzzword. Yeah, each of these technologies have, have the way to change things, but... Blockchains is, is a little bit more deserving. Well, just, it's, just it's hard. Maybe it's just hard for a journalist to, to, to put it in a paragraph, you know, like, you go, what the hell is blockchain? Uh, uh, 
You've yeah. got like 5,000 more That's a good point. Something. You put 3D printing <laughs> yeah. down, you have a little picture yeah. of a printer, and everyone's like, yeah. It's, it's like the something thing. else, so therefore it's easier to explain. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. blockchain, it's like it's abstract and hard and computer well, science mm-hmm. And plus with Bitcoin, right? And a lot of people say, but Bitcoin, isn't it legal? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they go, oh, but drug, drugs are sold. And they go, well, you know, preferred currency for drugs is actually US yeah. dollar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, 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 or, or 500 euro not. You know, that's, that's, that's what the hell is with the 500 euro note? Hey, like, come on, guys! Like, really? See, I, I, I'm on the I'm on the receiving end for that. So every time I give it, they know it's something wrong with it, right? It's Russian. It's a Russian with the 500 euro note. They don't take it from me. They always assume you want cash. That's right. Sorry. I actually used to sell bitcoins to a uh, to a Russian expat in New York yeah. for cash, small bills. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dude, that's a that's a big. That's a big envelope there. Like, like, what fives? Are you kidding? Me? Like, where are you getting these from? Fives. <laughs> no, the thing is, but all of this, all of these projects, and a lot of people are kind of starting to understand now. It's about marketing as well. So we need the mass adoption to 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 make it to what what it can be. And uh, I mean, we're facing a few challenges and everything. But like, see, that's why we kind of went heavily in marketing. So 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 now we can kind of have a little bit of marketing sway. In Australia, at least. Except traditional journalists are not interested. I mean, they'll keep keep printing, but whatever list they're printing. Yeah. You know, so do you think? Um, I think I think everyone sort of knows the answer to this. But do you think that most token sales have actually been taken up by people in the crypto space, and not actually by people who might actually be using the end product? I'm getting a lot of numbers. absolutely. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Because Definitely. because the thing is, at the end of the day, right, it comes down to we're talking, right, and it's really fun. The guy comes up to me, okay, so so I can buy this now, right? And if we look at, say, list or something, right? I can sell it four times, right? He goes, yeah. And like, well, possibly, right? He goes, oh, okay, well, if you guarantee it to me, I'll throw in 50 bitcoins. <laughs> you know, you go, okay, come on, you know, like if you guaranteed you would sit on a one half percent in the term deposit, mm. you know, so, so, because once you start crossing over into fiat, that's when the government kind of really hard on you, and that's why you expose yourself as, you know, one of the things that um, so Veridictum is also uh, planning a token launch for Q3 this year, and the token will be that um, that value transfer mechanism I was talking about before. Effectively, the paid search where you can uh, pay to search for your regist- the content that you've registered on the platform. Uh, but one of the things that we're very cognizant of is that. Traditionally, it's it's only people within the sort of blockchain space that 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 get in on this stuff. So we'd very much like to um, community build and gain the um, gain the attention and sort of gain the the buy-in from content creators themselves rather than developers and tech. You got a practical hurdle there, right? If you're in a token sale, you're buying cryptographic tokens. In order to interact with cryptographic tokens, you have to have some level of sophistication around the, the tools you use. Right. Um, and, and content creators are usually not they're crypto, artists. crypto geek, they're artists. Yeah. Um, so, again, it comes down to a UX experience. Mm. Yeah, so they, would be, they would be very motivated to learn, though. So, you might yeah, want to talk yeah, to so, so that's, that's because they are trying to provide cryptographic tokens to businesses right. without. I'm seeing the cryptographic side. Mm-hmm. But to do that, you need to have the public key infrastructure in place. Yeah. Um, and that is, and I think, again, to bring it back to the, uh, the standards discussions that, are taking, that have taken place over the last few days and today, um, 
it's finding a way that is globally compliant, which is possible. I mean, the, the machinery is already in place to have a globally compliant public key infrastructure. Uh, it's recognized in all nations. It's not something that you can get wrong. There's only one right way. Um, and so if you can achieve that, if you can create this uh, public infrastructure on the same uh, and exactly the same way that you need to interact with uh, the British uh, British Land Registry or the New Zealand Land Registry. And so if you can somehow take that system and make it more user-friendly, then you can solve all of these problems. And there are enough problems you can attach to that that you can create, you can pull that motivation and use something very similar to what, uh, what Estonia does, right? Yeah, I think so, absolutely. I was speaking with a, with a representative from one of Australia's banks just before. Um, I actually think that it makes, it probably makes more sense for institutions and not potentially not government to, to drive that effort. The reason being is, well, A, the institutions such as you know, the, the major banks in Australia, um, Australia Post, they have something to gain from increased efficiency, but they also have the tenure of performing these functions already. So they already do functions mm. like KYC. And so it's, it's, it's really, I see that happening, or the best way that that should happen is through corporate innovation. These guys getting together, drawing up a tech roadmap and, you know, getting government buy-in, but something that's actually driven by companies rather than the government. Well, the problem there is then it becomes a profit motive yep. that's driving it all and short-term profit motives. So it should really be a cooperative of some sort. A cooperative uh, crease, yeah. Not, not a for-profit uh, organisation that will end up trying to sell you data um, to make money. Well, you can't actually sell the data because in order to be compliant with existing standards, mm. it has to be fully blinded, which is why we don't see these things existing already because you need cryptographic tools to blind it in order to make it work. And so I think that the lessons that we're, we're learning in blockchain mm. um, about privacy, etc., uh, and the huge demand for a system like this which is immense. Like how many how many identity systems are being developed concurrently in Australia? Like you've got Combank, Optus, uh, um, Australia Post, yeah, they're doing stuff. Uh, and then tons of other ones. So, so would it be um, selling entry into the system? I don't think it'd sell it because the uh, the incentive is already there to pull. So as we were saying before, right? Banks already spend thirty percent of their overhead is in customer identification. So if you can find a way to solve that problem uh, by pulling that information. There's um, your benefit. Then, there, yeah, there's your, there's your development incentive. Those are the guys who provide the supply side uh, of identity, supply side being the actual information that enriches identities, right? You know, identity is a market. It's the holy grail, isn't it? It's the holy grail, but we need it, right? Like, mm-hmm. it is exactly what we need for, to solve usability issues like the one you're you're referring to, I think I think the solution is going to come in the way of hardware as well, right? Mm-hmm. Because hardware is much harder to hack. Right? Piece of paper is very very hard to hack, for example. And people are used to hardware as well. Like how we use a cryptographic identity every time you pay for something. It's built as a little chip in the card, right? Mm-hmm. Your mobile phone has a SIM card in it. That's your identity. It's a smart card. It's a hardware private key store, right? That people are kind of used to that, and I think that that's where the solution is going to come. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that current smart card technology is not. Quite there, yeah. Is it? Not quite. 
What uh, could you elaborate on that? Uh, the elliptic curve in Ethereum's key signing algorithm is not supported in most smart card platforms. Is that okay? But is that a hard? Is that a difficult fix? No, no. You just got to make a smart card platform that does. It's just that most of the cards at the moment don't have it. So most people go down that road. They go, oh yeah, I want to use hardware and a smart card. Oh shit! Most all the smart cards I buy from China at reasonable cost don't have it. Oh crap! I need to now develop my own smart card. Too hard basket, right? Uh, but you know, hopefully, standards will be like actually no. Um, Curve Sec P two fifty six K one is actually really useful, guys. You're gonna put this shit in your hardware. Um, and so, then when we, once we start seeing hardware support for a lot more of these algorithms, um, I think we'll start to see a lot more hard the hardware wallets. Unless custom, you know, sort of exalted geek tools as, the, as most of the hardware wallets are now, but actually like regular things that we use like a credit card. Because that uh, that Estonian card. It's so cool. It's got it your like fold out thing. You plug in the USB thing and you stick your card in there. Yeah, I've got I've got one too. Um, but it's a different signing out that doesn't work on Ethereum. Yeah. That's yeah. So, so is there an issue with uh, privacy in in terms of having one key identity? Yes. That you don't want there to. Is. You don't want to tie your credit card with your medical with your you know mm-hmm. Ethereum with this and that. I mean, but you don't necessarily have to do that. I'm not sure if that's what you would do. Yeah. Or yeah. That's actually well, I mean, it's definitely a something that you would want addressed when building this utopian identity system yes. was that you could fracture your identity up and yeah. keep them private yeah. from each other. Yeah. Sort of like a HD wallet mm. where exactly. you have <coughs> spinning out and but you can prove that you own all the unique keys. I think we need a few more developers in the cryptographic space as well. I mean, with ZK Snarks coming out mm-hmm. and stuff like that, that's obviously very new cryptography. Um, when that, that kind of technology matures, we'll start to see some of these problems answered in, yeah. um, in, a, in a reasonable way. Um, but we, but we, I think people also forget to look at what exists. So with um, PGP keys, you can there's a way to have a root master key that is your boss, and then you can create sub-keys on that that are authorised, for example. Mm-hmm. You can split up your identities between all of your different providers as your sub-keys, but then your root key, you know that this is actually the key to your whole life. Yeah. But you actually don't have to use it pretty much ever, except yeah. opening new accounts, so you don't have to expose it as much. And then what happens if you lose it or it gets compromised? Exactly. So then you need good key management strategies like um, so multi-sig or secret splitting, which are sort of equivalent technologies. Is, is, you know, again, it just comes back down to traditional key management. It's nothing new. It's been done for years. But you also need to port that into something that is consumer-friendly, right? Mm, exactly right, which is just... Just then putting all the layers on top of it to make it UX. Which which Uport did brilliantly with their uh, delegated recovery tool, which is cool. I, I mean, it seems to me like they they've solved it with that mm. that layer. The question is, what else? What else do you need? I hear about lots and lots and lots of projects and blockchain projects, and if I could categorize them all, the biggest one would be identity, which is good because it's the big problem to solve. Yeah. yeah. So. Get, get the good gigs on it. Well, it's a difficult one. Mm. Cool. Well, I think that kind of... Tons of content there. Yeah, good luck editing that. Yeah, <laughs> there goes my weekend. I think I've got to introduce my name even, so... Matt Howe. Yay. <laughs> Welcome. This has been the Ether Review. 
Visit etherreview.info for more episodes, email contact at etherreview.info or follow us on Twitter at etherreview. Music.